Okay, so Biblical Soul Care Sunday School class. We are finishing up Chapter 7 of Good and Angry by David Pallison. I'm talking about how we can, what does it look like for your anger to be good? How should your anger look if it is pleasing to God uh, rather than self-centered, um, all about me and about my kingdom and how you ought to treat me? So we talked, we went through a whole book called Uprooting Anger by Robert Jones and talked about what anger is and how it's almost always wrong when we are angry. Um, and then, we, so that was very profitable, I, I thought, especially for me as I was studying that. Um, and now we're talking about, well, then what does it look like for us to be angry in a way that glorifies God and also honors the people involved in the situations that are provoking our anger. Okay, so we thought last week, and we covered, there are four ingredients to what good anger can look like. And David Pallison calls it the constructive displeasure of mercy. And it kind of sounded odd, because it's like, I don't think of mercy when there's potential for me to be angry. How do you do that? That's really difficult to do. And we talked about, is that even possible? The answer, of course, in Sunday school, you have to say yes, even though sometimes we're not really sure that that's what we truly believe. Um, but we talked about how when there's something that we are angry about, the definition of anger was our whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. So there's something evil that we think is evil, and our whole person is responding with, that's evil, and it should stop. Right? So there's, there's anger is a value and a moral judgment that we're pronouncing on something or someone. So that's, and that can be good. In fact, if you never get angry, that's a problem. There are things that ought to make us angry, but our anger should glorify God and bring about good. So that's what we're talking about today. Last week we talked about, well, the first ingredient of that is patience. So in the midst of something that's happening that we think is evil, we have biblical grounds for, okay, that's clearly sin. It is against God and his agenda, his kingdom. It's not just an inconvenience for me. This is something I prefer not to happen, but it's about God and his glory. The first response would be, I need to be patient in that talked about why well, why why is that well love is patient we learned in first corinthians 13 love is patient we talked about how god in his anger he is slow to anger that patience is vital for us if we're going to be like our god so we spent quite a bit of time talking about well what is mercy what is patience look like in the midst of an anger-inducing yeah, situation. And today we're going to pick up with forgiveness. So being patient in the midst of something that's wrong is really having a long-term view of, of being able to roll up our sleeves and I'm going to commit to doing good and extending mercy and bringing about good as a result in the midst of this angry situation in the midst of what's going on here. Not just ignoring it and calling that patience, but being able to persevere and continue to work with someone 
in their struggle or in their sinfulness for their good, for the glory of God. And now we're talking about forgiveness. So on page four is where we're at, if you're on your handout. If our anger is going to be good anger, we have to be uh, all about forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Just to start us off, what do you think of when I say forgiveness? So somebody does something clearly sinful against me to forgive them as I'm releasing them from having to do what? To pay it back or to pay for it, right? So somebody um, comes and keys my car or something, and I, if I am to forgive them, who is kind of paying for that? I am. I, I'm going to take that debt. And to forgive them means that they're not going to have to pay me back for that. If, to forgive others as God has forgiven mm -hmm. us. Yeah. Wow. So, forgiveness is releasing someone from punishment. Okay. I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, just in terms of, say, this person keys your car. Mm -hmm. Can you forgive the person but still hold them accountable sure. for having keys your car? Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a way I think it would be good to, forgiveness does not necessarily mean that uh, if, I, if I have them pay for the, the damage, I can still forgive them relationally and, and not do that. So there's, there's a lot of situations that where there's a variation of what can come out of that. But yeah, it, it's good to, um, especially if there's a broken law, there's going to be some consequences that a lot of times are out of our hands anyway. So if you break the law, there's their police get involved and things can happen in the court system. But um, if I choose to forgive that debt, it's not just that, I, okay, you don't have to pay me back, but there's another step that I think, um, as I was thinking about forgiveness, I, I don't always forgive biblically. Like, it's not only that I don't do the same thing to you. So if you slander me, I'm forgiving you by not slandering you again. But every once in a while, if I remind you somehow that you slandered me that one time, and there's still, like, I, that's still a way of making them pay for the wrong that they did to you. So I have not forgiven. To forgive is to completely absolve them of the responsibility to make it right with you. And that, that always requires the offended person to kind of take the hit. There is damage that's done, and there is uh, pain and, and hurt that's there, but the person who is offended is choosing to cover it, and that's what forgiveness is. So does that mean that I'm approving of the act if I forgive? No. No. I'm not approving of what they've done to me, but I'm setting them free from having to the penalty. Okay? 
Number 18, can you forgive someone who hasn't asked you <coughs> for forgiveness? Got a couple of nods. Mm -hmm. Yes. How do you know? How, how does that work? I honestly look at forgiveness as actually releasing you, too, because when you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart, that other person still controls you. You know, your feelings against that other person mm -hmm. damages you more than it does them. They may not even know that you're offended. Mm -hmm. And so by forgiving, um, that means you don't you don't think about it anymore. You know, you completely relinquish that. It's, you just turn it over to the Lord and let him, let him handle that. Because you know that he's a just God and it's supposed to. someone who never repents no no so there is a responsibility on the offender to repent right so how does that work so there we have had this discussion in this class you know months ago and then even years ago I think it comes up every once in a while but how does forgiveness actually work do I can I really forgive someone if, if they haven't come to me to seek forgiveness they haven't repented. <clears throat> I think one thing that's helpful um, in this book is, is David Pallison has kind of two parts to it. Um, he calls it, at the bottom of your, your page four there, he uses two terms to describe biblical, the biblical picture of forgiveness, attitudinal forgiveness and transacted forgiveness. Okay, so go ahead and turn the page there, page five. Let's look at Mark 11, 28. 
20 through 25. And as they passed by, this, this is Jesus and his disciples, they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it shall be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, and if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Okay, so what do we learn in that text about forgiveness? What's the command that Jesus is giving? I mean, there's, that's a big if there, right? So, so that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. So you have to forgive where you are not forgiven by the Father. It's a big deal. Okay? How does, what does forgiveness look like in that verse 25? Let's ask some basic, those who, what, when, where, why questions. Who's, who's there? In this verse, you're praying. It's you and the Father. It is. It's a two-way. So a lot of times you don't have you don't you're not reconciled to the other person. Mm -hmm. But to me, that that bitterness that I feel, the the hurt that I feel, I have to take it to the Father first and get right with Him mm -hmm. before I can to the other person because it's not there on my own. Yeah. So yeah, I do need the forgiveness from the Father to be in a relationship with the Father, to be praying uh, in an acceptable way to the Father. So, But as I'm praying and I think of something that I have against someone, is that person there? In the, no. So what does Jesus say? Forgive. Forgive them. So there is at least an element of forgiveness that does not require that person to be there present and you actually have a conversation. Jesus is commanding his people that when you're praying and you remember somebody who's done something against you, you forgive them. So, the, and as far as we go down the list, when, when are we to do this? Is there, is there, okay. You know, eventually, you know, when you're praying to the Father and you remember something, eventually work out and, and forgive them. There's not really a delay there. Jesus is saying when you do it, whenever you do it, you forgive. Right then. You forgive that person. Who are we forgiving? Whoever, it says. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so we are, there is an element of forgiveness in this biblical picture that we forgive everyone. Now, I want to pause here because just like with mercy and with patience, there are, are some counterfeit versions of forgiveness. What do you think are some necessary components to be able to actually forgive someone? 
because sometimes to give you, I don't know if that's a clear, very clear question, but here, here's what I'm thinking. When, when I forgive somebody, sometimes I, it's just my way of ignoring it. Even if I, I'm not having a conversation with them yet, we'll get there in a little bit, but in, in my heart, what is it really like to forgive someone? What needs to be there in my heart before I can truly forgive? I think there has to be repentance for our, for our goal. Mm-hmm. That's what's part of it. Yeah. Personal repentance for maybe holding on to it, if that's, if that's what the situation is. Yeah, if I'm... If I am embittered and I'm holding on to something that they said about me or they did to me, and I'm just holding on to it, I do need to repent and seek the Lord's forgiveness for that. And then for me to forgive, there has to be, I have to care about the person. And I have to love people the way that God tells me to love people. So when I forgive, it's not pretending like the thing is not there. And it's not just avoiding it because I really don't know how to have the conflict that it will be required, the good conflict, to engage that person and try to work that out. I don't want to have to have the conversation, like, hey, you know what? When you did that, that was hurtful to me. And, and begin that process of actually having the reconciliation. Instead, sometimes we just short-circuit that and say, I just forgave him. All the while, we're still kind of holding on to it. And, and there's kind of a relational distance that's there as a result. So, I think one of our past classes we talked about, and a question that I started asking myself is, if someone offends you, am I willing to absorb this hurt? Am I, am I willing to absorb it? If not, then I probably need to have another conversation with the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it's too great or if, a, if it's self-harboring, me then something more needs to be done right. but part of that is a choice when you're forgiving as to whether or not you're willing to absorb which is what Christ did for us mm-hmm. can I share a personal experience sure when I, I had this job and it was pretty public and, and um, I was down in front of a large group of people and uh, the woman who led the Bible study that I attended every Thursday came down and basically destroyed what I was trying to do that I thought was very biblical and very godly. And uh, so I lost heart going to the Bible study for two years. And uh, I, I went the first day and I just broke out crying, you know, the next day to the guy and stuff like that. And then um, I went back and someone to talk about forgiveness. And I approached this lady that had offended me and I told her, I said, I want you to know that I forgive you for what you you think I'm going to forgive you? And I said, <laughs> I offended you? And she said, yeah, do you know what you said after I destroyed what you were doing? And I said, no. And she repeated it, and I said, I have an apology, will you forgive me? And she said, I don't know if I can ever forgive you. And she walked away, and I said, well, remember, I won't. I've asked for your forgiveness, and I've asked God to forgive me as well. And then we became extremely close friends after you know, so it was just this, I had a misunderstanding because I could, in anger, I said something publicly demeaning about her and didn't even think mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. So, harboring unforgiveness is a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. 
And we're, we're always more innocent in our own minds than when it's perhaps true. Um, so yeah, forgiveness is something that I do um, that is not dependent on them responding well to it. That's a good illustration of that. If I say that I forgive and I say, you know what, I forgive you. And they go, for what? I'm like, oh, never mind. I'm not, nope. You don't even know what you did. So that, I didn't forgive you, did I? I'm kind of making this thing that you, I'm still making you earn a little bit. You got to show the proper remorse. You have to show them that you're really sorry and that you're going to try to at least take a step towards making it right. That's not forgiveness. That's, again, that's like bartering, right? I'm kind of seeing if it, how, how sorry you are and I want you to be sorry and then I'll forgive you. That's, that's not forgiveness. That's not how the Lord forgives us. And the only thing that really makes this possible, especially when there are some serious hurts, it's not just like annoyances, it's not just someone was inconsiderate towards me and it hurt my feelings, which, I mean, probably happens to me more than I would care to admit. But if there's something seriously done that on the kind of the scale in our, in our own scales and our, our hearts and minds, it's pretty serious. An abusive situation. Significant damage to the relationship or to I mean to myself. The only thing that makes really true forgiveness possible is to know that the forgiveness that we we've received from the Father, right? To understand that my sin, my rebellion, my hatred of God, that I've directed toward God after He has done nothing but good to me. And that debt is insurmountable. It is incredibly big. And I deserve the wrath of God for eternity. For my personal rebellion. Nobody made me do it. I wanted to do it. But he forgave me. When I understand that massive forgiveness and the seriousness of my sin against God dwarfs anybody's sin against me. We've got to really be in tune with it. You have to really set your mind and heart on that and understanding that and thinking about that often in order to forgive others. If we're having a forgiveness problem with other people, we've probably forgotten the forgiveness we've received from the Father. So that that is extremely important. Question number 21, we already pretty much talked about who's involved in that command from Jesus. It's, it's you. It's the person who's praying. We'll see a similar thing in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. Jesus saying, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So question 22, again, how does Jesus teach us to pray about forgiveness? Yeah, 
when, when, you, when we are cognizant, when we recognize our own sin before God and we're asking for forgiveness, that makes it a lot easier for, to forgive others. Right? So as we're asking for forgiveness, it's that, that's a confession. As we have forgiven our debtors. Okay, so who is involved in this context? <coughs> Who's present? So there is a significant portion of the a biblical picture of forgiveness in our hearts, and there's the attitudinal, as, as what David Palestine calls it, the attitudinal forgiveness. I must be willing to forgive everyone who is wronged me. There's not, and if I don't, I am not forgiven. <clears throat> Yikes, that's scary. Right? What is my greatest need before God? I need forgiveness. I need the mercy of God. I need him to forgive me of my sin, or I can never be in his presence. He is holy. He will not allow sin to go unpunished. We learned that in Exodus 34. Right? I will by no means clear the unrighteous. That is not going to happen. So we need we need forgiveness from the Lord. But the other half is that sorry, go ahead. On the attitudinal forgiveness, if we got just a minute, mm-hmm. think that Christ and Stephen both modeled that mm-hmm. in a really good way for us. Christ saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. He was obviously forgiving them, but he was appealing to God, who was really the only one who can forgive sin anyway, and that's really who we owe the debt to. And other people who sin against us, that's truly who they need forgiveness from, not necessarily from us. So we're in an attitude of forgiveness, which really points to Stephen saying his last words were, lay not this charge against them. So I think that's an attitude of forgiveness that points to people need forgiveness from God more than we have from me. And me having an attitude of forgiveness points in that direction. That's a good point. In the midst of being murdered, they forgive them. And they, they were not asking forgiveness, really. So Nobody was asking. They weren't asking for Christ's forgiveness. Right. All who was at Stephen's stoning, he wasn't asking for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing, I heard that this prayer by Christ, Father, forgive them. Was answered 50 days later in Acts 2, where many of those people who would have been saying crucify him did come to repentance and faith. And we also know from Stephen that some came to faith as a result of that. So we really do model repentance and forgiveness by forgiving us other people. That's a great point. Any other comments on? The attitudinal forgiveness. It's interesting in both of those cases that their action, their statement in forgiving them is giving that judgment to God. Mm-hmm. So God did not lay this charge upon them. God forgive them. Mm-hmm. It, so it, like what Don was saying, our forgiveness really isn't that important. We're, we're, well, our action in that is giving over the 
job of being judged to God. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's really, a, that is also comforting in that I know that I've wronged other people, and if they say, I'm never going to forgive you, Brock, for what you've done to me, uh-oh, like that, that's kind of a problem if I really need their forgiveness in that way. Now, I, I ought to go there humbly and ask their forgiveness, truly repenting and, and seeking uh, their good, and seeking their forgiveness and their mercy. And, but if they withhold that, my, that sin is primarily, Psalm 51, David says, against you and you only have I sinned. Which so primarily are all of our sin, like John was saying, is against God. Even though David uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and he killed her husband, right? And and his understanding of that sin, yes, I sinned against him, but it is so large in his mind, it's looming so large in his mind. I've sinned, I've done this against the Lord. So that is really, really important, and it can be comforting, not only as I as I'm thinking about how I need to forgive people, but I undoubtedly need forgiveness from other people as well because I'm wrong people because I'm sinful and I'm selfish so that's a great point any others alright transacted forgiveness on the top of page 6 let's look at Luke 17 3 through 4 pay attention to yourselves If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So what are we commanded to do here? To always forgive when they uh, they ask us to repent. When they repent. To first rebuke and then give his repentance. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a, an actual, there has to be an interaction here. So if your brother sins against you, you rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. So there is a, 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 a again, completing the picture of forgiveness, the biblical picture, there's this attitudinal part that I, I must be, I must be ready to forgive, and in my heart, forgiving people who wrong me. But there's also, there's a transaction that needs to occur for there to be kind of this kind of reconciliation to happen. Especially amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. To forgive, there needs to be a resolution to the wrong that was done. So, your brother sins against you, you rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And then it continues. What else do we see? Verse 4 he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent. You must forgive him. Now, now I'm going to bring up that question I asked a little bit earlier. What are some of the necessary components that need to be in place for real forgiveness to happen? So go back to the situation where I something's wronged me and I go to them and how does that need to happen so to where that we can have true biblical forgiveness and reconciliation take place what's their part your repentance what does that look like what does real repentance look like oh sorry <laughs> did it again 
that repentance? <laughs> no. Humble. Humble. There should be some humility. Some, and again, the, the rebuke comes from sometimes I'm wronging people and I don't really, I'm not really aware of it. I'm blind to my own sin sometimes. So I wrong somebody, they bring it to my attention, and what should be my response? A humble recognition that I, I've hurt this person somehow. And we're grieved because of it. And a grief. There should be grief that I did this, especially, and then we're talking about, right now, let's talk about people in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I ought to be grieved that I've hurt my brother or my sister in Christ by my actions, by my words, by my attitude, all of those things have caused them pain. Well, if you're really humble, will you do it seven times in a day? Well, you would hope not. Yeah, I'd hope not. Yeah, yeah. but I, I also know that like some sometimes my sin is so deeply ingrained in me, and especially I mean talking about anger. Let's just think about anger for a moment. How quickly do I get angry? And I may be seriously sorry and, and deeply grieved in my heart that I just snapped at you, right? And I, and I ask you to forgive me. And then we go on, and like 15 minutes later, something happened. You make me spill my coffee on myself. And I'm like, hey, what are you doing? And I just do that again, right? The, now, I intended to not do that in my heart. I, I wanted to stop that. But I did it again. This is so quick, and I'm so entrenched in that sometimes. And, and it can be anger. It can be selfishness. Just I, I can be a very selfish, thoughtless person sometimes. If I'm just not considerate, just doing what I want, and that, that's something that really has to, it's going to take me some time to fight that sin and to put it to death to where I'm actually thinking of other people and I'm looking out to do good to others and not to just do good for myself. Okay? Sometimes we, our sin is more more deeply ingrained in us than we care to admit. I'm wondering also since you're giving seven times uh, it may not necessarily be the same action of sin over and over that many times it may be a different type of sin I mean like there's anger and there's necessarily the same sin seven times. They can be, well, I've, I've slandered you, and I'm very sorry for the falsehood. I make false accusations I've made. Mm -hmm. I allowed myself to get very angry with you. I am very sorry and repent for my anger for no reason I could be wrong because I have been a lot of times, but I think there's different levels of sin that you can perpetrate against a person. Right. And so here in this text, the, the components are like that, that person needs to repent. Sure. There should be a, a grief and a sorrow that I've committed this sin against you, and I'm committing 
my heart with the help of the Spirit to not do it again. That, that's necessary to, be, to describe what we're seeing here in this text. If that's not there, we still attitudinally forgive them. Okay? But we just may not have full reconciliation. We may not have really peace there. But we've tried as much as depends on us. But there might not just be that transactional forgiveness. That person hasn't sought and repented uh, of that sin against God. And that has also affected us. So there is a, a part of that where Jesus says, if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So there should be that transactional forgiveness where that should be, there shouldn't be anything against you and that, and that brother or sister in Christ because they've repented. So that, that could be saying something about their heart. But in that situation, when, when they're asking for my forgiveness because they wronged me, and they said, and I said, yeah, I forgive you. I am, in that moment, right? I've already attitudinally done this, but in that moment, I am releasing them from all of the, of the payment that I maybe would have expected otherwise. What they do with that, if, if they're starting to say, now, I did that because, now, what is my responsibility there? It's to listen maybe I'm sinning against them and provoking them in some ways and providing a temptation for them, I should be humble enough then also to consider, okay, maybe, what are they trying to do? Maybe they're not doing it the right way. Maybe they're not, <laughs> they could do it a different way. But if I, again, our goal in this is, is what? Just to be able to check that box so Jesus will forgive me or God will forgive me. Our, our goal is to do good to people for the glory of God. So we're the, the mercy that we're extending them is for their good. And so if there is something that I'm doing, I should be open to that. But maybe that just needs to have some more confidence. Sometimes it's pretty clear that that person is just giving excuses, and so they're not really repentant. So then we continue to engage them. We continue to talk to them with humility and gentleness and say, okay, I, okay if, I, if I've done something wrong and I've provoked you, I, I, I'm open to talking to that. But I want to let you know that he, here's how that sounds. And we, when you say, I forgive you, but that kind of sounds like you're not, you're not really seeking forgiveness. You're giving me an excuse for your, your, your behavior that I, that I believe is sinful. And so you, you talk through that. Um, and then you continue to pray for them. But again, attitudinally, even if they're not doing it right all the way or if they're not doing it the way that you'd hope that they would do it, we do forgive them in our heart before the Lord. And then if they're repenting, we, we do extend that forgiveness. And it's all the way done for. 
But yeah, there, there may need to be some follow-up conversations as you work through, okay, okay, is this an excuse or is this something that I've, I've seriously sinned against them and, and that is provoking them and making it difficult for them to come to me? Because I do, I, then I would need to repent and, and ask their forgiveness for that. So yeah, it's, there's a lot of contextual things that you'd have to walk through and, and talk through. Um, but the key is to have all of those conversations motivated by a love for them, a desire to do them good, which is if they're sinning, because the excuse making, if it's just excuse making, that's hindering their relationships with people and with the Lord. A lot of times, the way that I, I treat up people is a reflection on how I view the Lord. So if I, if I think that, well, of course God will forgive me. Of course I, I do some things wrong here and there, but you know, it's not that big a deal. This, they did it wrong too. I mean, like that's a problem. Like they're not seeing themselves rightly. And, and so if I just say, well, they kind of ask forgiveness, but they, no, I need to engage them and make sure that if I truly love them, if I truly want good for them, I want them to grow into Christ-likeness. I want them to know the Lord accurately and truly. And that will help motivate me to have that conversation with them. Okay, and see what's going on to the best of my ability. Alright? Does that kind of answer their question? There's a long answer. <laughs> I think getting into the business of trying to evaluate someone's heart in terms of uh, whether they're actually repentant mm -hmm. is a burden that we aren't meant to take on. So we just have to remember our condition in relationship to God. Mm -hmm. Trying to regulate everyone else's heart is worthless. It's hard for me to read whether you're truly repentant or not. So yeah, that's what you need. We need to have that with an open hand. Um, and again, if it's something where you have love for that person are seeing, yeah, they're they're saying the right words, but their behavior and their words and their actions afterward are not reflecting what true biblical repentance looks like, then we engage them. But if it's a question, we, maybe we let it go. Maybe we let that play out because we, we want to believe the best. We want to have charitable assumptions about their motives. Because, yeah, we're not God, and he's the one who can um, see that. He sees their motives in their hearts. And it also says here that it is just only me, but what we're talking about here is not my nature. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it goes against everything, and my split-second reaction is not the right one, and it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times I have to remind myself, the fruit of the Spirit is love, grace, and peace, and patience. You know, am I doing that at this moment? No, I need your help. You know, that I can't do it on my own. That's not, that's not my initial mm -hmm. response. I wish it was, but that's not. Yeah. That, that is, this doesn't come naturally to anyone. Right? But the more that we know the Lord, we know his character, the more that we are thinking about him. Uh, we Last week we read Psalm 103. There's some verses through there. I'll read them again to you real quick. Because this is what is really going to help us if we truly have a desire to be like the Lord, be like Christ. And, as, and we're coming across in scriptures where we see the Lord, Psalm 103, verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Oh, yes, awesome, like it. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Cool. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. That's patience. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Okay, that's a little bit harder, but that's the, that's the way the Lord deals with me. That's how he dealt with his people. 
He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So the, the more that we, we have that truth in our minds and we're allowing the word of God to renew our minds, it's, this is going to be possible to respond in moments when I, I used to just yell or I used to just clam up and just give him the cold shoulder. Now I can be merciful and gracious. I can be slow to anger. I can love them faithfully through this situation. I'm not going to give it back to them, returning evil for evil. I'm not going to deal with them like he dealt with me or she dealt with me. So there, this is impossible if you do not have a new heart that has been regenerated by the Spirit of God. It will not be possible. Any other comments or questions? It's always, it, it is a good idea to, um, we've considered this as well with our, with our kids, now do I just, do I just have my girls say to each other, oh, say I'm sorry, and then put it behind you? Well, we, no, you need to ask for forgiveness. Okay? Now, I, I, I can't force my, my daughter's heart to actually be repentant and to be grieved by what they've done to their sister by taking the doll away, but I can like, model that for them, and then, and then also, when I wrong my daughter, seeking asking her forgiveness, I just say, "Oh, sorry, my bad." You know, so there. Yeah, those are good. Those are good thoughts to have. Um, in summary, so the biblical teaching on forgiveness has two parts uh, that need to be taken as a whole. We must forgive in our hearts anyone who has wronged us, but the actual transacted forgiveness, we might call that reconciliation, may not be possible. This does not mean that we are in sin because reconciliation hasn't happened, but we must make every effort with wisdom to be reconciled and live at peace with all men. You read that in Romans. Uh, so next time, next week, we're going to continue with the last two characteristics of mercy, which are charity and constructive conflict. Thanks, everybody.